0: Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense.
2: And welcome to Frankie Sense and more. Boy, do we have a terrific show for you today. Kind of sounds like somebody's rolling dice. Is somebody in Las Vegas? I don't know. Joining me today is Larry Ellis. He's the author of Overtime, A Basketball Parable. Angel Sessions is also here, and we will hear her latest album, uh, the release from it, Know Them by Their Fruits, by the same name. And of course, it's the end of the month, and while the media is all abuzz with the Oscars, the Good Radio Network's own movie correspondent, Brent Marchand, will be joining us a bit later in the show. But first... Frankie Sense, longtime listeners know that I am all about social consciousness. This show is, in fact, aligned with the UN Global Goals Initiative. And today I want to speak a moment about human rights and violence against women. I mention this because recording artist Kesha alleges that superstar producer Dr. Luke sexually and emotionally abused her for a decade, which contributed to her eating disorder and mental breakdown and she's suing him for sexual assault, battery, and sexual harassment as a result. Dr. Luke denies the allegations and has countersued for defamation and says Kesha is just looking for an excuse to get out of her contract. A few days ago, Supreme Court Justice Shirley Conrad ruled for Sony, saying that her instinct is to do the commercially responsible thing and that there has been no showing of irreparable harm given that Kesha still has the opportunity to record Wow. Well, Kesha's supporters are saying that Justice Shirley Conrad effectively forced Kesha now to continue to work with a man she says raped her. Yes, uh, you know, this might be true and reasonable from a commercial standpoint, but what about reasonableness or potential for irreparable harm of keeping a woman under the power of a man she says abused her? Uh, this didn't seem to factor into the judge's decision. Demi Lovato, one of Kesha's supporters, stated, "Someone tell me why anyone would ever feel brave enough to come forward if they are most likely to be ignored or called a liar." Now, while Kesha has some support of the biggest names in music, Lady Gaga, Kelly Clarkson, it's Taylor Swift's gift of $250,000. She said to use as Kesha needs fit. You know, really shows what an outstanding humanitarian she is. And In my book, court fees cost a ton of money and Sony can break Kesha's bank. So it seems to me that, you know, this really is a clear human rights violation. Now, Article 23 in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states, everyone has the right to work, to free choice of employment, uh, to just and favorable conditions of work and to the protection against unemployment. They also state everyone who has the right to just and favorable remuneration, ensuring for him and his family an existence worthy of human dignity and supplemented, if necessary, by other means of social protection." Good thing we have a U.S. state you know, prosecutor with us today. Help us understand this law. Uh, which, you know, is a great segue into meeting our first guest, Mr. Larry Ellis. Now, Larry's the author of two books, In the Forest of the Night, his first novel, which won the West Virginia Writer's Award for Novel, Best Novel in 2001, and his second book, Overtime, A Basketball Parable, which we'll be discussing today, among other things. Now, I did refer a moment ago that we had, you know, a U.S. prosecutor with us. Larry is indeed a West... Virginian through and through. He has been a senior litigation counsel with the Department of Justice West Virginia for many years. And during his long and distinguished career, he has been part of several high-profile political corruption prosecutions, including the prosecution of a former state governor, a former state senate president, a coal mining company president, and the prosecution of a former state governor, oh my goodness, a former state senate president. Well, you know what? Uh, Larry... Just got himself, like, invaluable fodder for a writer, uh, one would think. Larry is also a musician, a guitar player, who I am sure entertains his lovely wife, Jennifer, and his two adult sons. So welcome, Larry.
3: Hey, good to be here.
2: We are very happy to have you. You know, I really enjoyed, over time, A Basketball Parable. I didn't expect to. I'm not into sports. And, you know, with the cover... I thought, oh my god, boring. But this is just one more reason, never judge a book by its cover. Because I have to say that I am now putting you in my favorites and one to watch category. (laughs) I think you did a great job. You're extremely talented, Larry. Wow. Must be all those courtroom speeches you have to write.
3: What do you think? Well, yeah, that's got something to do with it. I spend my life with words, you know, that's what I do and have for years. Uh, spoken words, written words, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it kind of does go together. But it sounds like I'm going to have to do something about that cover. I think that, uh, you know, maybe it's a problem with the book and I, I don't quite know how to solve it. It's not what people expect. Right. Uh, and, you know, you're not the first one who's told me that. And, wow. and you know, people look at the cover and they think, well, you know, if I don't like basketball, I'm not going to like this book. And it's really, as you know now, it's not about basketball. I mean, basketball is the means for telling the story, but it's it's not particularly a sports story.
2: Right. And and you know, I got a tweet today go, "Oh, I'm going to listen to the show cuz I love basketball." I'm like, <laughs> eh, "It's not really about basketball either." Although, you know, basketball is is there. You know, why don't you do you want to give the highlight or I give the highlight of the story? It's up to you. Why don't well, you
3: it? It, it's it's actually a story Yeah, You know, I mean, uh, you know, basketball fans will like it for that reason, but it is not limited in its appeal. At least I hope it's not limited in its appeal to basketball fans. I think there's something there for everybody. I think it's more universal than that. But uh, I've talked to, you know, basketball players, guys who have played in college, et cetera, uh, who, and they, they like the story because, you know, they're they're you know, is a good bit about the history of basketball, at least in the boomer generation in there. There, there, there are uh, things about Jerry West, things about Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich plays, you know, a, a pretty central role. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think and hope that it, it will uh, appeal to basketball fans. I, I hope that your friend who tweeted wouldn't be disappointed in reading it. But, you know, I, I, I do want to emphasize that I'm very glad that you have uh, found that it's a little more universal than that.
2: Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, as you know, I wrote a review on Amazon because the, the story is, you know, about coach Carl Campbell who, who was very frustrated with the, you know, with his high school team. He, he, he was a coach for many years. And I guess he thought one day he would, you know, get this greatness would, would happen for him, but it didn't. Right. And, and the story comes from his retelling because he's dead.
4: Yeah, and, right. And but you
2: don't really see him as a ghost, um but right. he's somewhere. He's somewhere and he's recounting, you know, the kids who came through his all the the basketball teams that he had and and the different people and uh it's about reparation and and about looking back on your life and and seeing who did you harm and and who, you know, where did you go wrong and and who might you apologize to and how could you change things if you would. Uh and it has us thinking about our own life and yeah, I mean, you know, who who I might have harmed and who I might want to say yeah, I'm sorry to. Well,
3: it, if that's what happened, then then I that it's a success because that's what it is. It is aimed at. You know, it's it's got a little bit of um, field of dreams in it, and yeah. it's got a little bit of uh, Groundhog Day in it. Actually, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
4: yeah.
3: Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you know, if I had to put it in one word, uh, if someone said what's the book about, I would say that word is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it forgiveness is. Um, you know, it's it's an intriguing idea. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that, that C.S. Lewis talks about when he talks about forgiveness is, and I don't, I you know, I never put anything as well as he does. But one of the things he says, it's kind of um, uh, how would you say it, a two way street. Um, he says, you know, if you're holding on to grudges. Uh, it's very, very hard to be forgiven. If you don't forgive, it's very, very hard to be forgiven. And, I, I, you know, I tried to get that across in the book. I think that's a really interesting and sort of life-changing um, idea.
2: Right. I agree. And, and so where did this idea come from? Did something happen in your life, or were you guys oh. talking at a dinner party one day?
3: Or... Well, you know, it's really kind of mysterious even to me. Um uh, um, I, I think if, if I would have to, you know, try to trace the uh, route of the development of the story, it's, it's a very long road. Uh, um, and I guess probably uh, several years ago, uh, my family and I went to the beach. We go to the Outer Banks, uh, and um, I had some time to just mellow out. And uh, I decided I would do something kind of literary that I'd never done before, and that is to read a biography and then the autobiography of that same person and see how they compared. And I was ready to think, "Mm, you know, there'll be a big difference. The autobiography will be slanted, et cetera. But I read a book called Pistol, which is a very good uh, biography of Pete Maravich. And then I read his autobiography called Heir to a Dream or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the surprise to me was they really weren't all that different. Uh, You know, you got a little bit in Pete's book that you didn't get in the other book, but You know, uh, Pete was pretty darn honest with what he told about his life, and always, always growing up, I was so fascinated with Pete Maravich. Um, You know, he's he's a little older than me was a little older than me, and he was the guy in my generation, the magician with the basketball, the guy everybody wanted uh, uh, to be like. And you know, I was fascinated with that. And you know, he's still the the all
2: time leading scorer. Is that right? Yeah, he's still the all-time double, double C NCAA division scorer with 3,667 points scored, and an average of 44.2
3: per game. Okay, and, and here's the other thing you've got to think about when you think about that. When he played, there was no three-point line. Right. <laughs> and he was a long shooter. Uh, there, are, there are great stories about him. Anyway, uh, I, I almost forgot to tell you this. I was talking uh, with my pastor when I was writing this book. And, he, you know, I was talking to Pete Maravich, uh, my pastor's about my age, and played high school ball. Okay. And he said, do you know, do you remember a guy? And he told me his name. And I said, no, I, I don't remember that guy. He says, well, you know, he came to church here uh, for a while. He was very sick, and he died about a year ago. I said, oh, well, okay. He said, that guy was a basketball star. He was a basketball star and played at Clemson and actually knew Pete Maravich. And he told me a story about his interaction with Pete Maravich when Pete was about eight years old. And that's in the book. So that's there is in the book.
2: That's true, there's, true then. There's a true, a true story, story. Okay. about
3: Pete Merovich in the book that no one has heard anywhere else.
2: <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, we got about a minute to break. And, and you know, I was going to ask you about that because you did say there's something in the book about Pete Maravich that nobody else has ever written. So now we know. But that's you it. don't know until you've read the book. I know. Right,
3: right. And Larry it's, knows. We're not going to give it away. We're not going <laughs> well, to give
2: it away. You're going to have to read <laughs> Buy the, the book.
3: book.
2: <laughs> Buy the book and read the book. And, you know, I when we come back, Um, You know, I know that music has inspired you. I I, I saw your videos on on YouTube, and I know that you're really excited um, also to meet Angel and and see what she's all about, too. But I want to talk about the book just a little bit more. We got Um, – yeah, we're going to go to break. So listen, don't anybody go anywhere because we are going to come back very, very soon. Speak again. See, oh, I can't even talk today. Speak to Larry Ellis, speak to Angel Sessions, and Brent Marchand is coming up. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, I think, and <laughs> we're coming back in, in just a moment.
0: <laughs> Heck no, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense, and Moore will be right back after we pay the bills From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: Now that the weather is colder, many exercisers have taken their outdoor walk or run indoors to the treadmill. There are so many advantageous things about working out on the treadmill, but the two that stand out are intervals and hills. Most treadmills have programs that increase the speed and or incline of the treadmill so you can get a great workout without even thinking about it. The treadmill does the work for you. Walking up steep hills is excellent for fat burn and heart conditioning. Since I live in Dallas, Texas and it's mostly flat, it's difficult to find hills outdoors. So the treadmill workout that inclines and declines is perfect. During these cold winter months, I encourage you to try a treadmill workout and challenge yourself in ways that you can't when exercising outdoors. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
2: We're back with Larry Ellis, Angel Sessions, and Brent Marchand is coming up. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and thank you so much for sticking around. Larry, um, we were just talking about your book, Overtime, Basketball Parable, and why did you call it a parable?
3: Well, yeah, um, uh, you know, the way I've been taught, uh, a parable is the kind of a story that has really one central point uh I, i've always heard parable uh like sort of juxtaposed to an allegory allegory is very complicated and you know this and that and and, and a parable is just a story that's told to make a single point and you know I, I didn't want anybody to mistake the book as you know something primarily about basketball or i didn't want anybody to mistake the book as something that's something very heavy about you know the end of the world or what the afterlife will be like it's not aimed at that. It's just a story to make a point. And I think that's what a parable means. I think it gives it, I give it, it, hopefully it gives it some balance away from the notion that it's all about sports.
2: Mm-hmm. You're a very deep thinker, aren't you?
3: <laughs> well, I guess that <laughs> depends on who you ask.
2: <laughs> I, I, you know, cause I, as I'm reading your book and I, and I'm you know where the where the character development comes and and where they go and all this stuff. I mean, I'm just sitting there, really, truly amazed at like, wow, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? Uh, it's really quite extraordinary. So I'm assuming that you're going to write some more books.
3: Uh, yeah, I hope to. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Will they all be fiction?
3: Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, that that's probably what I'll do. I, I, I don't imagine I'll. Uh... Uh, I'll write any nonfiction, no.
2: You don't think that you'll write about any of those high-profile cases?
3: No. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that's something that just, that's been done. Uh, and, you know, the, the cases I prosecute, you know, you prosecute people. Right. And, you know, they pay their way, they pay their dues, they pay their debt to society, and then, you know, by golly, leave them alone. Right. Uh, it's uh, fascinating,
2: though, to me how, you know, what people will do. It, human nature is is fascinating, and I think we all you know, oh, are you yeah. interested in that? Oh, yes, you yes. also are a poet. I see that you write <laughs> poems almost daily.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, uh, I read somewhere that uh, never call yourself a poet. No one ever does <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, th- 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 there is a guy that I read. His name is Ronald Rollheiser. You may have heard of him. He's a Canadian guy, uh-huh. uh, and he blogs extensively, and he is a Catholic priest, I'm not Catholic, uh, Baptist, but he uh, writes a lot. And I I find so much in his work. Uh, And one of the things he writes about uh, is creativity. And he writes about aging. And he, uh, you know, he quoted a guy. I can't remember the guy's name. I should have. I should have written it down before I came on. And he said, after you turn 50 years old, you ought to write a poem every day. Uh, You're old enough. You're wise enough. You know. Say something, uh, create something, do something about uh, life, and I think there's a lot to that, uh, and particularly for a person like me who is involved in very sort of left brain um, analytical work day in and day out and and I think that the notion of you know sit down and just grab onto the next thing that flashes across your mind, I think that 's healthy. And, you know, I, I go back and read the poems I've read, you know, years ago. And I'm not always uh, not pleased with them. Some of them, I, I smile when I read them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it has a, a way of either making you present or introspective. So
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. Either
2: works, right?
4: Right. Right.
2: OK, that's that's awesome. Let's let's. Yeah, we're going to pay all of Angel's song guys all of it (laughs) let's bring angel on and then we can play her song and then we can talk to her a little bit more angel sessions is here and she has a guardian angel in her friend danko who's from croatia because he reached out to me via twitter and he said i have to have angel on my show (laughs) so i clicked the link and voila L-E-Z. She's here. She's been singing for, for a very long time, and what a beautiful voice she does have. I read, Angel, that you, that you wrote uh, or said, I've always had a love and passion for singing ever since I was a little girl. Touching the lives of others through my music inspires me to continue my journey for God's glory until the end. Have you always yes. been, been <laughs> Christian?
6: Um. I couldn't say when God saved me, but I just know that He's always laid on my heart. Um, since I was a little girl, I just always had this deep love for Him and wanting to know ever since I was a kid, who is God and what He and, and who He is to me and, and just knowing that He, someone created this beautiful world and, um, just wanting to know Him. So I began praying a lot, you know, since a kid and just the more I prayed, I just feel like that God was drawing me close. To him, And I started to know a little bit more about his love and who he was as I began to read his word, as he drew me closer to his word, the Bible, um, around 2008, to be honest with you. But ever since I was a little girl, I just knew that I started singing since I was six years old. And wow. um, my mom used to come into the room and peek and watch me sing. And I was this little shy girl who never wanted you know, anyone to know that I could sing or whatever. I used to watch all the cute commercials on TV and sing along with them. And so my mom would invite all of her friends to our house and entertain them with me singing for them. And I just always knew that I always wanted to have a love and a passion to sing for God. And um, the more he drew me close to him, the more I wanted to be more, you know, just as because of my life I live, I live for him. And without him, I'm nothing. And, um, just always wanted just continue to desire, I have such a love for people, and just, you know, as God, will work in my heart, through my music, to touch the lives of many people through my songs.
2: That's great. You know, Angel's had um, 18 or more years, at least in this music, well, a lot more since she started at six, but in the industry itself, a little bit about 18 years, a, a very prolific career. Uh, she just released her ninth album, Know Them by Their Fruits, and obviously, Angel, um, you know, is proven because she really is here to stay. She's proven that with, with all of the music that she's put out and laid out there into the world. She's a well-rounded singer, songwriter, producer. She was formally signed to both Ichiban Records and Volt Records, where she released her first album, Introducing Angel Sessions, in 98 and Love Ride in 99. And previous to being signed to her label, she also traveled to Guam, performed at the Grammys party and in L.A., and she also played in some of the same venues as the notable James Brown. She sang uh, on two songs with Maurice White of Earth, Wind & Fire fame, On two of his tracks, and she's traveled with Mary Wilson of the Supremes for two years uh, as her backup singer before she crossed over to gospel. And her eighth album, Songs of Comfort, uh, which she put out last April 2015, had a standout single entitled Don't Let Go, which was nominated for eight awards, won the Academia Music Awards in November 2015. Wow. I mean, you're doing great. What can we say? You, we're going to hear yeah, your song, Know you. Them By Their Fruits, which is uh, the title song from the album, Know Them By Their Fruits. Let's play that and then we'll have a chat about it.
4: Drop it, ready, alright, alright, I got something for you, ready, alright, alright, I got something for you.
2: Okay, that was Know Them by Their Fruits, Angel Sessions. Angel, where did, where did that song come from? I, I recognize it as a well, Bible quote, but where did that come from for yes.
6: you? Um, it, well, because of the scriptures, I like to always use scriptures in my songs um, that God has blessed me to write, um, because I never know who um, God has elected to say. So um, the music was composed by uh, the platinum producer Antonio Tizon Street, who has worked with many mainstream, um, awesome recording artist, Mary J. Blige, uh, let's see, uh, Biggie Smalls, and R. Kelly, just to name a few, and he created that track, and I loved it. So I wrote to that, and um, I wanted, of course, my writing is why I call myself an urban gospel recording artist, because my music still has that hint of R&B. It definitely has a hint of R&B. But definitely the message of Christ, you know, um, in it. And um, so the news know them by their fruits is pretty much, even it the scriptures and that, that God's written, you know, that we should know them by their fruits because there's many of the people who may believe it to be saved, but their lifestyle, we will know what, they, what comes out of their mouth. is not what corrupts us that, that goes into us, but what comes out of our, our heart. So, right. Um, and God's fruit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance, you know, those who God has truly saved, they will bear his fruit and you will know them, you know, because of how we live our lives. Not always, always what you say, but sometimes just living your life that could touch the life of someone else.
2: Right. Yeah, it's beautiful.
6: Yeah.
2: Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs>
6: well, we've, we've just got a few seconds
2: before we head off to, to our break. And, and um, I, I, when we come back, I want to talk to you about um, the song Inconvenience that you did for Love Ride. And cause okay. that's that's got a good story to it, doesn't it? That's pretty exciting. Yeah, Angel Sessions, uh, you just heard her from uh, her new album, Know Them by the Fruits. Just came out January. That was the title's track. And stick around, we're coming, we're right back. Don't go anywhere.
0: Warmed up. Frankie and more will be right back after, after we pay the bills. Florida. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: What should you invest in as far as workout equipment is concerned? My answer is simple. Invest in a good pair of exercise shoes. The shoes that you wear for exercise can really make a difference for your body. Regardless of how they look, go for shoes that have the right fit and support for your foot. Orthopedic surgeons and podiatrists will tell you that the shoes you wear are crucial to your body's alignment and the protection of your feet. Many injuries that are common with exercisers, such as low back problems, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain, can be in direct relation to the shoes you wear. Take the time to get fit for the proper shoes by salespeople who really know. You don't have to buy the most expensive shoes, just the ones that are right for you. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
0: From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on Toginet.com. And we're
2: back. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. This is Frankie Simpson-Moore. We're speaking with Angel Sessions and Larry Ellis, and you just heard Angel's latest song, Know Them By Their Fruits. And Angel was an R&B artist, crossover to pop. She calls it urban urban gospel. I'm sorry, crossover to gospel. It's urban gospel, which is kind of cool. Back um, when you did your album Love Ride, one of the songs, um, Inconvenience, was and the title was changed, I think, to Held Up, was in the movie, Held Up with Jamie Foxx and Nia Long. That had to be exciting to hear that.
6: Um, Yeah, the song was, it didn't get a chance to make it to the movie. Actually, what it was, it was Tony Camillo. I think that's his name. He wrote the song Midnight Train to Georgia Mm. for um, Gladys Knight. So I traveled to... um, New Jersey to his house to record the song he created he created the song and wrote the song Inconvenience the movie was supposed to be called Inconvenience and I was so excited because Star Pictures was putting yeah. that film out and um, I was like oh wow I was so excited and, and then right at the last minute they changed the movie to Held Up so that's the title now of, of, the, of the film at that time but I was still able to go to the movie premiere and meet with Jamie Foxx and um, all the cast of the film um and TriStar, you know, and all of them. And I guess it wasn't God's will for that title, but it was still a blessing. Um, cause there's some bigger things that's getting ready to happen now. <laughs>
4: right. So um, tell
6: us. With my music, you know, and, and with another motion picture that will be displaying my music also. So I'm excited about that. So really? Wow. Um, can you, can you tell us what the title yeah. is? Yeah. Um, well the movie's gonna be called Held Up. I mean I'm sorry, Destined for Greatness. Okay. Um so it's 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 um gonna be in the making and I'm just excited about it. Um I'll be co starring in the film.
2: Wow. And
6: um yeah. And with some, you know, great main, you know, uh, actors and um in it, of course. The main star would be Samuel Jackson. So um awesome. the the film wow. was um the, the script was written by uh, Rodney Cruz. Um, he's a great writer, and him um, Columbia Pictures are very excited about this great epic film. And there's going to be some awesome people in it, and we're all excited. So um, that's going to be Congratulations. And we wow. so I'll be able to perform. Thank you. You know, my songs that you just heard, Those and By Their Fruits, they're very they're, they're big fans of my music now. So that's just all to the glory of God, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now, you're, are you managing your daughter, Shardella?
6: I, I, am, I have been managing her for a while. Not at this moment. I mean, you know, I'm still working with her. Like Right now, she's just kind of taking a break and just mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, her personal life, you know, going, with, going to school and so on and so forth. But she also is going to be in this film as well because she's an awesome singer. So I had managed her when she was young. I had a girl group called One Unity, and it was just, you know, they almost got signed with Sony records um she's a beautiful singer very uh awesome she loves you know (laughs) mimicking her mom me right and um just growing up being around me things like that just really inspired her so um i taught her vocally how to train her voice and how to sing things like that and i wrote a lot of her songs for her now she's embarked upon herself to write her own music and her own lyrics to start as singing is And so she's just a phenomenal vocalist herself um, that's great. So I have directed her in in, in the industry and things like that she <laughs> she always waits on me to 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 um you know, to really make sure I'm you know, steering her in the right direction. So um you guys will hear more about Shardella's sessions. Yeah, um, I hope to in the near future. Yeah. Must be nice to know, get the talent,
2: it. you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. how, how come we didn't get the talent come down to us or something? But uh, yeah, Larry, I know that that you're a big fan of. Oh yeah, Angel. Uh, I, now, mm-hmm. I,
3: I, you know, before the show, I hadn't heard of her, but as soon as you told me about her, I, I looked up her music and and listened to her stuff, and I'm telling you, Angel, uh, you know, you 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 have a market in baby boomers. <laughs> Uh, I did not know that this kind of music was still being made your music's really fresh but it it does remind me of the stuff I grew up with you know the sort of uh, Aretha Franklin and Al Green and uh, it's just wonderful, soulful, mellow uh, happy music and uh, I'm glad I found it Uh, the song I've really been listening to a lot is If You Love Me You'll Wait For Me what a great groove that is
2: so are you starting to play that on your guitar now Larry?
3: (laughs) well that may take a while yeah (laughs)
2: Larry's Thank got a few so videos up on it. YouTube, too. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So a movie, Thank when you. do you expect the movie to come out?
6: Well, we haven't begun shooting yet, but we will, you know, okay. um, this year. So um, when we, you know, um, I, I can't say when. Um, it could be the fall or sure, um, movie next a long time. year. But yeah. um, I definitely will keep you informed of all that, but... Yes, we're definitely excited about that. I, I know I am. Um, yeah. To be able to meet these wonderful, great, um, actors that I grew up watching, you know, on big screen, to be able sure. to meet them in person is just,
2: yeah,
4: that's right. You know, uh, you
6: know, there's going to be some Eat big names in, in this film. <laughs>
2: You, you were part of a program called School Entertainment Activity Program. Is that still around? Cause I, I, like you said that Usher and Brandy and Destiny's Child and Spice Girls and Britney Spears, they all did, went through that and they all went to schools and, and you met them and, and, uh, you sang with, with, with some of them. Is that, is that, that sounds like a great program. Is that still around?
6: I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think the last time I heard about them, they were like 2008, 2009. So I'm not sure if they're still doing it or not. But during the time I was doing it, this was like the late 90s, 1999, with my Love right. Light album, and I was marketing and um, performing at all the schools in Los Angeles, California for all the kids, you right. know, during their um, their their break. And it was just a wonderful experience, of course, you know, to be able to see the kids, you know, their smiles on their faces. You know, when you're performing, you know, your song to them. And I will always open up with a, 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 a rendition of um, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. You know, she's oh, one of my favorite nice. singers. And just to hear the kids sing back to me and touching their lives and things like that, just through my, through my talent, it was just a wonderful experience. And meeting other great, you know, recording artists it was just wonderful. And it's a great way to get your music out there. Uh, For sure. Having radio airplay, which is really great, but to be able to perform and have the kids buy your music on demand, which was the purpose of, you know, us doing this so that the kids can be able to, you know, market and support and buy the artist's record. Right.
2: It's nice that they can just buy a single, too, you know, that they can just go and buy something that that they want, you know, affordable when they want it. Like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
6: Yes. yes, yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, thank you so much. I want to talk about, um, Brent, you're here now. Hello. Yes, I am. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Brent is our Good Radio Network movie correspondent. And I want to talk a little bit before we go into the movies about um, this being the year of diversity. (laughs) Trending, of course, is the inequality in the Oscars with their lack of diversity. Uh, You know, was this choice or happenstance, I have to ask. Because, you know, coming from Canada, where inclusivity and pride and diversity is our way of life, it kind of never occurs to me that people are excluded, you know, because of color, or, you know, maliciously or intentionally. Um, And then, you know, Academy President Cheryl Boone Isaacs said, you know, well, yeah, maybe, not really coming out and saying it, but saying, uh, we're going to implement these new measures, which will, you know, hopefully uh, be, you know, a step in the right direction and, to promote and increase diversity among members of the Academy, you know, of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and you know, I'm wondering what everybody on here thinks about this. Um, Spike Lee, one of my favorite directors, you know, was, I thought he was correct when he said, you know, Cheryl's doing a nice. Thing. It's the real thing. Uh but real change starts at the head of the beast. And the beast is really the um the executive office at the Hollywood studios, the TV and the cable, you know, networks where they're the gatekeepers, they're the ones who make uh you know make these movies, they're the ones who said, Yeah, you know, this is a go, it's not a go, it's gonna go in a scrap heap. So really um, it's important conversation. Do you think that, that you know, people, I, I agree, people should speak out? George Clooney, Jada Pinkett Smith is, you know, right at the helm of it, Whoopi Goldberg. Um, what do you think? Should everybody boycott the
7: Oscars? Well, I, I wouldn't say boycott the Oscars because, in many ways, the lack of diversity that you're seeing there, as, as Spike Lee had mentioned, is, I think, more of a symptom than, than an actual cause. Uh, as you say, if the, if the productions aren't coming out to begin with, feature minority artists, then there's really nothing to nominate, and that's kind of unfortunate. And the, in, in recent years, certainly the, uh, the number of um, uh, films that have uh, featured minority artists has been pretty limited. Um, now, it's true that there were some specific cases where there were, I think, uh, snubs against certain mm-hmm. people. Uh, this year, certainly uh, Will Smith's performance in *Concussion* was mm-hmm. was Oscar-worthy. Um, certainly, Idris Elba in *Beasts of No Nation* uh, and his co-star, um, the young boy, his name escapes me at the moment, but uh, but, but those were certainly performances that, that yes should have been recognized. Um, the same thing kind of happened last year when the movie *Selma*. Really, only received I believe was two Oscar nominations, and was way deserving of far more than oh, that.
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
7: Um, absolutely. So yes, I mean, there there certainly is room for improvement uh, in the and nominating Rock, process, but yeah. but but like I said, if you don't have the material to choose from in the first place, um, it, you know it's hard to come up with with nominees that are gonna that are gonna be um, part of the field.
2: Right. So, is that? And, and I think you're kind of right in saying that it's not really the academy's fault. It's, it is the you know, the head of the motion picture, you know, it's those guys. The scripts aren't either. The scripts aren't getting there, or they're not being, you know, recognized or not being taken. And, and these guys aren't making the movies that they want to make.
7: Or uh-huh. they or they are the movies aren't being promoted either. I mean, there are some cases of films that were certainly um, worthy of more attention that um, just didn't go anywhere when it came to the nominating process. Uh, Again, I can think of an example, not from 2015, but from 2014, uh, Mm -hmm. the film called Dear White People, which was hilarious and really well-made and featured a lot of uh, great insights and great writing, and that, unfortunately, didn't receive any recognition in any of the awards competitions that year except for, I believe, it captured uh, an award at the Independent Spirit Awards. But, um, you know, this is... It, it, you, you can't, I think, blame the Academy directly uh, for not coming through on this because, like I said, if they don't have a lot of the material to work with to come up with nominees in the first right. place, you know.
2: Well, we're going to get it, the input it, of my guests, too, because I want to hear what they have to say, but we're going to go to a break in in just a few seconds. So when we come back, we are going to find out from you the nominees, for um, you know that you think are going to make it, the nominees. The, the, we'll talk about the movies that we think are going to get awards. We'll talk about you know. I want to get everybody's intro or input on on this conversation.
1: So we'll be right back. There are more cats in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small Mideastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a Kindle. And a group of adult cats is a clowder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? nugans personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see his equal. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
5: Have you ever wondered what happens in your body when you exercise? Discovery Health explains that the muscles provide the strength, power, and endurance to do the movements and exercises. Enzymes within the muscles mobilize various fuels to provide ATP to meet the energy demands of the working muscle. The heart and the blood vessels increase the blood flow to deliver more oxygen to the working muscles and the lungs increase the rate of breathing to deliver more oxygen to the muscle. The more often you exercise, the more conditioned you become. On the other hand, lack of training causes them to atrophy. So don't settle for being a couch potato. It's time to get your body moving. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
2: Hello, everybody. And thank you for coming back. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. We have Larry Ellis. We have Angel Sessions. And right now we're talking to our own movie correspondent, Brent Marchant. Hi, Brent. Hi, how are you? I'm great. So everybody, is everybody thinking of their favorite movie? I hope so. No. <laughs> Larry, you said that you had a question.
7: You had a question uh, yeah, for Brent.
3: I- I do. Um, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the discussion about uh, lack of inclusiveness in the Oscars this year, a uh, couple of things come to mind. First of all, Brent, is, has this been a pattern? I mean, I, I have not heard of this kind of uh, uh, concern uh, about Hollywood Hollywood's actions in, in the recent past. And when I think of uh, you know, uh, uh, forces in the society or institutions in the society that are pro-inclusion and, and, and that sort of thing, I think Hollywood's right at the top. I may be, that may be naive of me, but is this a pattern or is it just something that happened this year? Because if it's just something that happened this year, that could just be statist- a statistical anomaly.
7: Um, no, it's not just this year. It has happened in the past. Uh, it used to be quite an issue a number of years ago. And then, um, Hollywood seemed to be getting better about it for a number of years. But then beginning again in, uh, uh, 2014, uh, that's where the issue really kind of reared its ugly head once again, and it continued over again into 2015. Um, so, yeah, it, it does pop up from time to time. And it, the inclusion issue actually, it's, it's related to more than just minorities. It's also included to, um, uh, to gender-based issues um, mm-hmm. regarding women, I remember a number of years ago when uh, Barbara Streisand directed *The Prince of Tides*. There was quite a, um, you know, kerfuffle about that because the film, I believe, was nominated for Best Picture, but she was not nominated for Best Director. And a lot of times, those two categories often go hand in hand. So uh, on the night of the Oscar broadcast, there were a number of people who got up and uh, made comments either during their acceptance speeches or in the uh, introductions to the awards being presented, where they kept referencing, you know, uh, the fact that she had been specifically excluded from being nominated. So, yeah, it's not entirely a new issue. It, it does come up from time to time.
2: Well, last year, Patricia Cat you know, she used her acceptance speech to shine the light on gender gap, gender pay gap, you know. Um, Meryl Streep, who has won three Oscars, still continues to earn less than her male counterparts. And Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett Johansson were the only two women to be listed in the Celebrity 100 list of Forbes top-paid celebrities, which is pretty phenomenal. I mean, Meryl Streep, nobody has her talent, as far as I'm concerned. She should have the moon and back,
7: you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, when, you, when you see talent, it really should be compensated for, uh, for what – they're putting out in their performances and um a lot of times that that just doesn't happen um yeah. it's okay. um there are there are a number of performers who like to work with certain directors like woody allen who's known for not paying particularly well uh, simply because they want to have the opportunity to work on a quality project right um the uh the big studio jobs are a lot of times uh, taken simply because they pay well um but when actors consider looking at uh, items they want to put on their resume to show off their talent, uh, they will look to these smaller projects, which they know they're not going to make very much money at, but they know that these are likely to produce awards and greater Amazing recognition words. and so forth. Yeah.
2: Angel, do you do you like the
6: movies? I, I do. And one of my favorites, because I do love True Stories. You know, I just have a lot yes. of great films out there, but yes. the one film that really... I liked and admired um, was in um, NWA. I I did not know a lot about um, Eazy-E's life. I I Mm -hmm. remember some of his music back in the day, but I didn't really know the story about that group and all the scenarios and what went on in it. I was at that time still, of course, doing my thing as a recording artist, trying to get in and fit in and, and learning more about the music industry and doing what I was doing. Um, so when I went to see that, um, my husband and I, we went to see that I think, four times, you know, wow. and it was just, uh, yeah, it's a very phenomenal story. And because it's a true story, it's a great story. And right. it, it is sad that it didn't get recognized, but you know, overall, at least the story did get tell. And there's a lot of like, you know, um, uh, Larry and uh, Brad is saying, it's just a lot of great films out there that maybe not getting recognized, but right. at least if the fans continue to support the directors and the actress and things like that. I think that's mainly more than anything else that counts, that we continue to support, you know. Uh these people that do great films and and great acting things like that that they
2: do I always get really upset that all the really great movies the ones that I think are going to be great movies like the, the smaller projects that you spoke about Brent you know they don't play at traditional movie theaters you have to go to some out of the way you know kind of crappy time <laughs> playing Well, and, 10 o'clock and, at night and in some smaller Those markets they don't play movies. at all
7: <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the criticisms of the Oscar broadcast in recent years has been the fact that um, a lot of people have said, I haven't heard of any of these movies that they're nominating. Mm-hmm. So why should I watch the awards? And you know, when they, when they represent smaller projects that, that don't play either widely or in some markets at all, uh, it's hard for viewers to get to see them.
2: Right. And, and it's unfortunate because I want to see them. Let's talk about some of the top movies. I mean, you've got a top movie up there right now that I know I'm going to download from Amazon because I can't wait to, to see it as soon as they release it, um, a foreign film. And, and you yes. know that it's one of the ones that you're going to talk about.
7: Yeah, one of the one of the current films that I want to talk about is a Hungarian film called *Son of Saul*, which that's is uh, nominated for uh, the best foreign language Oscar. It's from Hungary. Um, it's a a very powerful film, and it's also one that's rather difficult to watch. Right. Uh, it it follows um, the um, the story of a, a concentration camp resident who. Um, does whatever he can to try and uh, provide a certain amount of humanity in a setting that exists. Um, he is looking to um, provide a, a proper burial for a young boy who, um, um, it, like his last chance at, at dignity. And um, he has to go through really some amazing challenges in order to be able to try and, and pull this off. And um, Uh, The camera is focused exclusively on the lead character all throughout, so you get to see every reaction he has to uh, every atrocity that's going on around him. Uh, It's a movie that really has a very strong gut reaction when you watch it, so it's certainly not for everybody. But for those who are inspired by the idea of someone trying to uh, preserve humanity where none exists, it's a really inspiring film to watch.
2: And and it, and it gives you, you know, and I haven't seen the film, but I could just imagine that when you look at that film and you think about somebody like a Viktor Frankl who comes out of that and still, you know, still says, yeah, life is positive and great and we have to make the best of it. Like, it's amazing that somebody can leave there and and be that kind of person.
7: It really you know? is. And, and that's yeah. one of the things that sort of distinguishes us from a lot of other films that have been made about the Holocaust and the fact that. Um, it does have a very strong underlying sense of hope running throughout mm-hmm. the story, which, uh, again, is something that many films that explore this particular subject don't do.
2: Yeah. Boy in the Striped Pajamas was still one of my favorites, so it was
7: a really great film.
2: Okay, let's see. Who's up? Who's up? Four. Trumbo.
7: Trumbo? Oh, Trumbo. Uh, I love Trumbo. Um, It's uh, a film that uh, explores the life of a blacklisted Hollywood screenwriter back in the 1950s because he he dared speak out against the the increasingly conservative government that was uh, in place at the time. And um, he ended up having to come up with some very clever ways to figure out how to get his work into uh, production when nobody would hire him. And he ended up being... um, uh, very strongly vindicated in the end, not only for his artistic achievements, but also for his um, defense of the First Amendment and the right to free speech. Uh, really terrific performances by a wonderful cast. Um, Brian Cranston, in particular, really upped his game as an actor in this film. Um, he is nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. Personally, he would be my choice to win. I don't think he's going to, but it's a really wonderful movie.
3: The Dalton Trumbo.
7: Yes,
3: he wrote Johnny Got His Gun.
7: Uh, I believe so. Yes, and he also—that's a, that's
3: um, a, a great, great book.
7: Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo and Exodus, um, and uh, really a, a wide range of movies.
2: And then that is
7: up for The Martian.
2: Now, I don't really think he de- he deserves an Oscar for The Martian. The Martian was a, an amazing book, a great idea, but I don't know if the acting—I mean, could anybody have done that?
7: I kind of think so. I mean, with yeah, Matt kinda Damon so. kind of playing Matt Damon, he, he, yeah. you know, he's he, he's a good actor, but he's he's kind of limited in his range. So I don't really quite understand how he how he ended up getting nominated for it, um, but he did. Um,
2: wow! Well, oh, we have only got a couple minutes, three minutes, Brent. So I'll let you take it away. Go.
7: Okay. Well, in the in the in the big six categories, which are best film actor, actress, supporting Actor, supporting actress, and director. I would say most of the most of the winners I think are pretty determined at this point. Um, for for Best Actor, I think you're going to see uh, Leonardo DiCaprio finally take home an Oscar for I the, Hope Revenant. So.
2: I loved the Revenant. I love The Revenant. I thought it was a great movie. I know you it was not it was betrayal. a good
7: performance. I, um, it I, I, I don't think it's the best work he's ever done, but I think it's certainly um, very, certainly very capable work, and he's overdue for a win, so I think he'll he'll take that home. Uh, best Actress, I think you're going to see Brie Larson. Uh, Mm -hmm. win for Room. Mm -hmm. Um, It's her first nomination, but she just knocked it out of the park with this performance, and she's won everything leading up to the Oscars, so I I don't see that trend changing on Oscar night. Um, In the supporting actor category, uh, I think it's another slam dunk for Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Um, This, again, is not necessarily something that's, I think, being given in recognition of the performance itself but it's like more like a lifetime achievement award right right it was a
2: good um, performance it was an understated performance
7: for him and yeah and like, it was good i, I mean like it's, Creed. It's, i think it's the best work he's done in a long time mm-hmm. um, is it award material well yeah. not really sure but i yeah. think that's the you know the sentiment's going to be with him sure um for supporting actress that's the one acting category where there's a little bit of a a, a little bit of a competition going on uh, I think it's coming down to two people, either Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl mm-hmm. or Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. Uh, the two of them have sort of split uh, the awards in the, in the competitions leading up to this. But in all the contests where they've competed head-to-head, Alicia Vikander has come up the winner. So I think you'll see her probably emerge victorious on Oscar night. Wow. Um, In the director category, uh, I believe this is going to be a back-to-back win for Alejandro Iñárritu for The Revenant. Uh, Mm -hmm. He won last year for Birdman. It's very unusual for somebody to win back-to-back Oscars, but I think he's going to—he's going to do that this year. He seems to have the momentum behind him at this point.
2: Oh my God, Brent! Uh, I have and- to stop you because we've only got 30 seconds. I need okay. to thank everybody. I need to thank you, Brent, for bringing the movies to the Good Radio and to Frankie Sons and more. Larry Ellis, thank you so much for that wonderful book that you wrote, *Over Time*. Thank you. Thank and you. and Angel Sessions, thank you so much for the beautiful music that you put out to the world. And thank you all for being my guest thank today you. on Frankie Sense Some More. I love you both. Thank you. And thank you. we will see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks, thanks to <laughs> my producers in the background there.
1: Take care, everybody.
4: Production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you the one. Turn the, world. Turn the world around Should I, you be the one way to make me smile